It's just amazing. It's just unending. It's just a, this well that continues to produce. Aren't you excited? That's how you said the right thing, yes. When you think about it, it really is all about community, isn't it? It's all about relationship. That's what we're made for. If you look at your notes, there's two questions I ask, and I'm going to ask you the first one. But before you answer, I want you to think carefully. The first question, very simply, I mean, it's an obvious question, which to all of us, I mean, you're in church, so it's logical that you'd say, you know, because I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, so everyone's going to go, yeah, okay, I want to grow spiritually. But before you raise your hand and say yes, I want you to think about what that's going to require of you. Spiritual growth. Spiritual growth does not come uh, easily. Spiritual growth requires that we get out of our comfort zones. That we go beyond what we typically normally think and or do. Does that make sense? Is that, is that a fair statement, do you think? As, as weak, fallible human beings, we want to be comfortable, don't we? We want to just kind of sit down and not have anybody bug me. I just want to just be peaceful. Just... That's why Rommel sits in the front with his family. They want to be continually incited and stirred up. It requires a commitment to grow spiritually. So given that, and hopefully you've had these, next, these last couple of minutes to contemplate that and to think that, I want to ask you this question. Deal or... Who really, truly wants to grow spiritually? Now, God sees those hands. God sees those hands, and in the context of what I said and what I'm going to say to you this morning, get ready. You don't raise your hand lightly. You don't say, oh, yeah, I want to grow spiritually, and then nothing, you don't do anything. Spiritual growth requires a lot of us. You'll notice the second question. Now, obviously, the, the, the emphasis of my message this morning is community as a means of growth. So therefore, you can answer this question. There's a little continuum uh, for you to look at in your notes. Ask yourself, how, how important really is community to my spiritual growth? Is it not important? Is it slightly important? Is it moderately important? Is it important? Or is it very important? Now, you go ahead and, and you check the appropriate little box that, that applies to your life. If you say, community is not important to my spiritual growth, and you really believe that, check that. 
Then come talk to me after the service. (laughs) If you check any box other than the last one. (laughs) If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, that Paul tells us that Christ gave various gifts to his church. And the question is, why did he give those gifts? And we'll look at that. If you'll just look with me at verse 11, it was he, meaning Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, why did he do that? Why did he give these various gifts to his church? Verse 12 tells us, to prepare God's people for works of what? Now, notice that phrase. You might want to underline in your Bible, works of service. There's an important distinction here. We don't work to get saved. We do works because we're saved. Ephesians chapter 2, the very works that God prepared before the foundation of the world that we should do. You say, well, what are those works? What am I, what am I supposed to do? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be, what? Built up. So the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what? Mature. Underline that word or circle that word. Until we become mature. So we're talking about spiritual growth. We're talking about spiritual maturity. We're talking about growing up into all the fullness of the measure of Christ. That's... Just another way of saying what Paul says over in in Corinthians, he says in Romans, that we are being transformed daily into the image, into the the, uh, uh, likeness of Christ. If you go back into the book of Genesis, you recall in chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our, what? In our image, in our likeness. And then you go to chapter 3 of the book of Genesis, and, and that image, that likeness, is defaced terribly by sin. The whole rest of the Bible is the account of God chasing us down, if you will, giving His Son, buying us back out of the slave market of sin, so that the image that was originally in us would be restored. And the whole point of that is so we could have unhindered fellowship with God. It's all about community. God wants to commune with us. He wants us to commune with Him. But there's something right now that gets in the way. What's that something? It's sin. It's disobedience. It's selfishness. It's pride. In all of its manifestations, just like in any relationship, we can have the best intentions. I want to relate with my wife and to the, the very best of my ability. I want, I, want, I want us to have the best relationship. But stuff gets in the way, doesn't it? Selfishness, pride, foolishness, laziness, any number of kinds of things. 
But the point is, is that God wants to grow us up to the fullest measure possible, and that is back into the very image and likeness to restore that image so that we could have unhindered fellowship. God is jealous for us. Just like you would be jealous for your loved one. That if someone were to, to, were to try to come between you, you have, a, you have a, a legitimate right to be jealous for that relationship. And then he says, verse 14, he says, then we will no longer be infants. Why? Well, because we're maturing, we're growing up. No longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. There are lots of people out there who want to who want to uh, separate you from your family, separate you from your loved ones, separate you from what you believe, separate you from your money by their deceitful scheming. We have spiritual adversaries arrayed against us. We have all manner of false teaching out there, all manner of things proposed by all manner of people. But as we grow up and as we mature spiritually, we will know what is the truth. We're not going to be tossed about. We're not going to be wondering, well, I don't know. We're not going to be like the present culture in which we live, that the hallmark words, the two words that mark this culture, this upcoming generation, here are the two words, maybe and whatever. <laughs> I'm serious. You talk to young people today, and, 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 and these kids who have no foundation, they have no spiritual input into their life whatsoever, they're, they're like these people, tossed about every wind of doctrine, every, every kind of teaching. And you try to talk to them about what they believe. And they say, you say, well, do you believe it? Well, maybe. And you think you got them pinned down? They say, well, not really. I, I believe this. And then I believe this. And then ultimately it gets to be, well, whatever. As if all things are equal. It doesn't make any difference. That is tragic. And we've come out of that world. And, and God has called us to go back into the world and bring some more people out. It's all about maturity. It's all about growing up. So we won't talk, be tossed about. Instead, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things. Now notice this again. Grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Again, let me ask you this question. Who wants to grow up? Who wants to spiritually mature? See, not quite so many hands went up that time. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We all have a part to play so that the, that the whole body grows up and matures. We all have a part to play. So Christ gave gifts to his church to equip God's people for works of service. Why? So that we'll all grow up, mature. And that requires that all of us uh, be actively participating in those gifts that He has given to us for the overall body. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12.
1 Corinthians 12 is probably the longest dissertation in the New Testament with respect to spiritual things, more particularly spiritual gifts. It's a very important teaching. And I'm not going to go into it in detail. I just want you to read it with me. I want to comment, but I have a, a larger purpose for addressing this. It's a companion passion to the passage to the Ephesians passage. Because it talks about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are given, Paul says uh, in verse 7, for the common good. The word common implies community. For the building up of the body. So just read along with me. Verse 1, chapter 12. Page 1174 if you're still looking for it. Now Paul says, now about spiritual gifts or literally spiritual things, brothers. I do not want you to be ignorant. And there are lots and lots of people, tragedy, who are ignorant of these things. We say, well, my, my, my church just hasn't taught on them yet. You can read it. No one taught me. I read it. Well, oh, wow, I want some of this stuff. We don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Have you ever said this to yourself? In retrospect, you look back at your life and say, how did I ever believe that stuff? What was I thinking? You see, Paul says, you know, somehow or other you were led astray, you believed dumb idols. And now you go, how stupid. But I still don't know everything I need to know. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about these spiritual things. Look at verse 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts. Ooh. But the same spirit. Now, you have, obviously here, uh, uh, interwoven in these next couple verses is is the visibility of the Trinity. But we're not going to go there. I just want to point that out to you. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service. But the same Lord, there are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, all he's saying there, there are different kinds of gifts. And we're going to read uh, in the next few verses, we're going to read a representation of giftings. Now, there's some people who believe that these giftings are no longer active. They've disappeared. They went away uh, with the closing of the canon of Scripture and so forth. I don't believe that. I believe those gifts are still available and still operating today uh, in the church, okay? But he says there's different kinds of gifts and there's different kinds of service and different kinds of workings. All he means is, let me give you an example. Uh, let's say that you have a spiritual gift of evangelism. And by the way, uh, with our emphasis on evangelizing, uh, we are uncovering, or rather the Lord is uncovering, gifted evangelists in our midst. It is really exciting. And these people are turned on turned on by the fact that they're functioning in, in, the, in the gifting that God has given them. But let's say you, you, have, you have a gift of evangelism. Well, the service in which that gift is used and, and the working, actual working of it isn't always going to be the same. You may have a gift to lead people to Christ one-on-one, and you're very effective at it. But then another person has the same gift of evangelism, and they're, they're very effective at leading people to Christ in larger venues. 
Or maybe they have the, 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 the gift of evangelism that's effective for leading children to Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? I believe that's what Paul is telling us. He says there's different kinds of gifts, and there's different kinds of service where those gifts are used, and different kinds of workings of those services. So when we look on a, we're, we're, we're exercising our gift, it's very important not to look at somebody else with that gift and say, you know, I want to do it like they do. No, no, you have a gift that works in a very particular way as God has already designed it and designed for you to work. Verse 7, he's not to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, why are these gifts given? They're given for the common good, for the community, so that the, that the body of Christ might be what? Built up. If the body of Christ is being built up, then guess what happens to the individual members of the body of Christ? They, are, they too are being built up. They are maturing. Very good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another the uh, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues, and to still another all uh, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. So God has given you a particular gift. He's given you a particular gift, or gift mix, if you will. Just as He's determined. Just like uh, before you were born, before you were conceived... Before the foundation of the world, God already planned that you should have the hair color, the, the color of your eyes, the body shape, the body size. Well, maybe not the body size, but you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You know the point I'm trying to make, right? Sometimes the examples go a little out there. God's already determined that you should have those particular qualities that He wanted you to have. He made you unique and distinct. And the same thing is true with respect to spiritual gifts. He's given you the gifts that He determined that you should have. Wow. That makes us special, doesn't it? Each one. Each one is absolutely unique. Absolutely unique. Then He, he goes on and He, and he addresses the, 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 the church as the body of Christ. He uses the metaphor of a body. He'll do this in other places. He says the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. So this, this body is a unit, but it's made up of many parts. I have kidneys and lungs and a heart and, and ears and eyes and so forth. All these parts go to make up this one body. And though all those parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, uh, whether we were Jews or Greeks or slave or free, we, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts. It's made up of many parts. And all the parts must be functioning. If all the parts aren't functioning, what happens to the body? It's hindered. It slows down. It ceases to be active at an optimal level. Implicit in that is the fact that all of us, parts of the body, must be active. 
He says, now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Don't you love how he says that? I am who I am. I am what I am. I'm I'm where I am because of God's design. And to complain or to whine or to moan, to say, well, you know, I don't have what they have. Well, yeah, you don't have that. You're not that because God made you unique and distinct. Quit coveting somebody else's ministry, gifting, abilities. Because if you covet all that stuff, you've got to also covet their trials. <laughs> and you may not want their trials. Really? If they're all one... If they're all one, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts for one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And, and, and tragically, a lot of times we tend to diminish others, either personally in our, in our relationships or spiritually, and we say, I don't need that person. They're not important. They're not significant. No, no, no. They, they are. They're vitally significant. It may not be readily apparent to you, but by faith you have to say, this person is important to me. Is it Valerie? Is that right? I'm thankful that Valerie served three tours in Iraq. Now, just sitting here looking at her, I would have no clue to that. But now that she's told me, I'm especially thankful for you. (laughs) And I think all of us would understand that. But, you know, otherwise, you know, she's just another woman in the church and you know, you easily overlook her. But you look into someone's life with just a little bit. You go, ooh. How every person plays a significant role at some level, in some degree, in our life. Am I making sense? See, we're, we're talking about what? We're talking about Community. And in the present, the present context, if we're going to grow, we need to be in community, but you're not going to grow unless you understand how you play a part in the community. It's not enough just to come and sit. You have to be active participants, contributing. Verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Notice that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And then this next statement he makes is so, so significant. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The obvious answer is no. But all are needed. If the body is to function at its optimal level. Turn over to Romans chapter 12 with me. This is another discussion of the same subject by the Apostle Paul. Verse 4 of chapter 12. He says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Now, my heart doesn't have the same function as my ear, right? My lungs don't have the same function as my kidneys. My pancreas doesn't have the same function as my nose. But I want all of these parts functioning as they've been designed to. And I suspect you probably do too, huh? Yes. So he uses, again, he bounces off this analogy of the body to describe the church. And just as we want all the parts functioning in our human bodies, we should also want all the parts functioning in the church. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. Now notice this. And each member belongs to all the others. You belong to me and I belong to you. Well, it's my life and I can do with it whatever I want. No, you can't. Not if you're a Christian. You're woefully uninformed or just willfully disobedient if you take that posture. Paul says, you've been bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Christ. He's your Lord and Master. He is your owner. Well, you're not the boss of me. No, I know I'm not, but he is. And we belong to each other. I need you. You need me. Again, this is the essence of community. That we're, we're together. It's important on that aircraft uh, that all the parts are functioning, right? Otherwise, phew. But it's important, too, on that aircraft that all the team members are functioning, doing their part, right? Especially the pilot and the navigator. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. Verse 6. According to the grace given us. You may have, as I suggested earlier, a, a particular gift, but it's given to you with a measure of grace. In other words, it's not going to be exhibited to the same degree and or measure or effectiveness as somebody else's, more or less, according to the grace given you. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. We want to see the prophets arise in the church. We want to see the prophets uh, take their rightful place. Now, what is a prophet? Paul will tell us in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 what a prophet does. 
It's not the, the classic prophet of the Old Testament who speaks judgment on Israel. The, the prophets are not to speak judgment on the church. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation to the church, right? Romans 8.1. So what does the prophet do? The prophet speaks for our strengthening, our encouragement, and our comfort. Part of that strengthening is the prophet points out where we're going wrong, but also helps us understand the right way to go. Individually, corporately. So if a man's gift is, 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 is prophecy, he says, he says, let him prophesy in proportion to his faith. If a man's gift is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If you're a pastor, pastor. Whatever the gift might be, if it's a gift of administration, then administrate diligently. If it's a, a gift of generosity or giving, then give generously. And he, he cites these, again, as, as examples. If it's leadership, govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. There's a reason why he says that, because sometimes you're asked to, you're given this ability to show mercy when you don't always want to do it. That doesn't mean that if you don't have the gift, you shouldn't do it. It just means that people with a particular gift are able to do this uh, marvelously, more miraculously than some others. So what's the point of all this? Christ has made us to be one body, one community, one family, if you will. And all of us are vital parts to the family. We belong to each other. And all the spiritual gifts he has given have this specific purpose, the building up of the body, the whole community, not just of the individual. That's what the gifts are given for. The only exception to this is the private gift, the private use of the gift of tongues. And we're told that that's given to the believer in his or her personal relationship, personal communion with God, and then indirectly to strengthen the body of Christ. When I'm personally edified, then I will want to edify others. Does that make sense? Again, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes, uh, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but speaks to God. So this is obviously uh, for personal communication with God. And then he goes on and says, uh, and he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That word edify is, is the same idea of building up. So uh, when, I, when I pray in, 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 in my tongue, I pray and, and I am spiritually built up. I'm better enabled to go build up others. I think that's an appropriate gift for someone in my job. Would you agree? You want me praying in tongues, right? You want me being edified and being built up. Because if I'm not, then I'm going to be deflated and not build you up. And the more I pray in tongues, the more I come after you, right? <laughs> oh, maybe he shouldn't do that quite so much. God's purpose in all this, if we go back to the book of Ephesians, God's purpose in all of this, Ephesians 4.13, is that we should all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the fullness, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's his purpose. 
To grow us up. Grow us up individually. Grow us up corporately. No one left out. And as we seek together to deepen our knowledge of the Son of God, we will grow in unity and we will grow in maturity. This is why I keep emphasizing this whole idea of mini-church. Our mini-churches aren't perfect. None of us are. The mini-churches are growing. The mini-churches are maturing. The shepherds are maturing. Uh, we we want to see more under-shepherds, more people uh, in, in those places shepherding the flock and encouraging people's giftedness. Absolutely vital. It, the whole idea is, is we're in this together. It's not enough just to come to church on Sunday morning. Uh, We have to be involved. We have to have a vision for the kingdom of God, a vision for the purpose of God. That means other things must be set aside, non-essential kinds of things. Well, I really don't have time to go to mini church. Why? What are you doing? Well, I'm taking a class. (laughs) So? Take a class at a different time. Don't take the class. What's more important, your spiritual growth and maturity or taking a class? Well, if I don't take the class, I don't get my raise. Well, in the eternal view of things, it's easy to raise up excuses and rationals, rationales to say, well, you know, spiritual growth, quite frankly, isn't that important to me. I went to many church, I didn't get anything out of it. You don't go to get, you go to give. And when you give, you... That's right. I think for lots of Christians today, there needs to be a huge paradigm shift in terms of priorities. What's really important? You go to mini church, you don't sit there like a bump on a log. Well, I just don't want to say anything because I don't want to look foolish. Open your mouth and let something foolish come out. (laughs) And let somebody help you correct that because probably are the other people are thinking the same foolish thing. Is this real? You see, we're a community of God's people who must be sharpening our focus on the kingdom of God and His purposes. We We have to understand who we are. What is His will really? You see, as we do, as we grow, we can't help but be a light to those who are perishing. We can't help but carry out the kingdom command, the great commission to go make disciples. Why? Because now that's the uppermost in our mind. It's uppermost in our life. Even the, even the, the weakest of us, Christiana, who sits in this chair you would think, well, you know, what, what's her gifting? I don't know what her gifting is, but she's, God has, for whatever reason, designed that she should be in that chair, and she has a gift, and she participates in the body of Christ. She's essential. We, da- we can't dismiss her. We can't a- ignore her. We can't say, well, you know, poor Christiana. No, no, we have to understand she is a significant part of the body of Christ. I don't mean to embarrass you. 
But I think, I, I, do we all understand what the point I'm driving at here? We must seek together. No, no individual Christian on his or her own can accomplish what God calls us to accomplish. Each of us has a small part to play. It's, a, it's this marvelous concert, if you will. And Christ is our conductor. And if the violin is out of tune, or if you've got Alan up here leading worship, and if uh, uh, Anya is singing out of tune, don't you think he's going to let her know? Now, Anya never sings out of tune, but you're the quickest one I could get to. See, as the body grows, the individual members grow. But each individual member needs the rest of the body. It's this feedback thing. It's this equilibrium thing. You know, I, I need you, you need me. As I grow, you grow. As you grow and I grow, the body grows. As the body grows, I grow, you grow. You see? You can't figure it out, but that's the reality of it. If there's to be true development. And for this to happen, it has to happen in an environment of love and humility. Paul writes to us in Ephesians 5.21, he says, we need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean, to submit to one another? It means that your gifting, I'm going to allow your gifting to affect my life. I can receive from you. I'll humble myself to let you speak into my life. I want to learn from you. My wife is constantly lovingly reminding me, don't you think God can speak to you from me? (laughs) Yes, dear. (laughs) Oh, mighty pastor. Oh, king. We have to humble ourselves to be able to be willing to listen to what others have to say to us. Speak into our life. We have to indeed consider others better than ourselves. That's the essence of humility. Otherwise, this whole environment uh, just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. See, it's with all the saints, not just a few. It's with all the saints, whatever our age, whatever our maturity level, whatever our background, whatever our tradition, if you will, it's with all the saints that we should be able to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. It was said of the early church as people observed Behold how they love one another. It was clear to the pagan. It was clear to those who were lost. This community of people, they were so different, so unique. And they were unique in their love as they gave to one another, as they ministered to one another, as they ministered with one another. The body being fitted together did its work. Now, someone asked me, "Is it what about what about the the, the place for 
individual spiritual disciplines. Is there a place for that? Yes. There's a, there's a place for the discipline of solitude. We need to kind of get away and, and just get quiet and be still and know that He is God. We need to get into our prayer closet and, and pray and, and wait on God quietly. We need individual personal Bible study. But not so much so that that becomes the end all. That we remove ourselves from the body. You, you've heard people, and I've heard people say, well, you know, I, I don't go to church. Well, why not? Well, you know, I worship God on my own. I said, you're sorely misinformed. We worship God together. Together we lift up His name. Together we exalt His name. Together we praise Him in the midst of the congregation. Yeah, you can have a private prayer time, but you don't make that your end all. You allow that to, 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 to help you maintain or gain some new perspective and come back into the body. People love it when I go away during the summer. Well, let me finish. My staff loves it. They can hardly wait for me to get back because I always come back with new ideas and new things and refreshment and, and, and renewed energy. And they say, you could have stayed away a little longer. Do you know the instructions given in the New Testament letters, they were given primarily to the churches, not to individuals. To the churches, the community. God, by Paul and Peter and John, were instructing the churches, the communities. In fact, the common word for Christian used in the New Testament, how many know what the common word to describe the Christian is in the New Testament? Saints. Saints. You know how many times that word, how many times that word is used in the New Testament? 62 times. I counted them. 62 times. 61 of those times, it's in the plural. And the 62nd time it's used in the book of Philippians, Paul says, greet every saint, singular. What's the point of all that? The point is that the overwhelming emphasis is on our corporate life together in Christ. It's about the community. To the saints. To the saints. Beloved, the more we live as members of the body of Christ, the more we shall experience all that God has for us, all the giftings and all the special graces that contribute to the building up of the body. Remember Paul's words in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians. He said that these, these manifestations of the Spirit are given for the common good the common good. And as we live together in love, the Spirit will bless through those giftings. Love, again, is is hallmark. Those first verses of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I could have all these marvelous gifts, gifts of miracles and in all faith and so forth, but if I have not love, I'm, what, nothing. See, if I'm functioning without love, love for the body, love for... For, for Christ, then the gifts serve no real purpose. 
and I end up doing nothing. It's that simple. Those who are mature in the faith must realize that they also need the help of and encouragement and even maybe sometimes the forgiveness and maybe even a loving rebuke from someone who is much younger. Regardless of our maturity, we're all sinners in constant need of God's grace and his mercy. And that grace and mercy very often will come through another member of the body. And sometimes someone we least suspect. We must continuously be reminded of our interdependence as we grow together in Christ. How many want to grow spiritually? If you're serious about it, important to that growth is to, is to know how you are gifted. What is my spiritual gifting? And I can go on and tell you how to do all that, but that's what many church is about. You go to Scott's mini church, he's going to help you discover your spiritual gifting. It's very simple. It's not complex. It's like, what color are my eyes? <laughs> well, just look in a mirror if you're not sure. But more importantly, once I discover that gifting, how does that translate into ministry? God has created works for me to do. Those works are more than not aligned with the giftedness he's given me. So if I know my gift, what does it mean if I don't use it? It's sin, isn't it? I'm clearly outside of God's will. If I know what to do and I don't do it, that's sin, the Bible says. If you want to grow, this is essential to spiritual growth. Implicit in that is being part of the community, being part of some group where you're known and people can help validate that gift can function and you can exercise and practice it so that it gets clearer and clearer and clearer. It all works together. One mini-church, one ministry. Community. Family. Right, Jerry? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, nearly all of us this morning, have made some kind of commitment to grow spiritually. You've seen our hands, and you know our hard attitude. You know our fears, and you know the uncertainties, and you know the... Things that compete in our life for our time and our energy. But Lord, you also said that we should seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And that you would take care of everything else. The bottom line, Father, we confess to you that we just simply need to live by faith. Trust you. Seek you and your will more than anything else right now. I pray, Father, that as we look to you and as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, everything else would grow dim by comparison. And we would see with crystal clear clarity your call on our life and our part 
in the building up of the body of Christ and the fulfillment of your kingdom purposes. I pray, Lord, that we would all take a fresh look at these things, understanding that we are part of your family and part of this local community called Hope. Lord, don't let us forget these things. Let us be mindful and to think on them and to, again, search your, search your scriptures to see if these things are really true and to redouble our efforts to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is you in us who are working out your will. Father, we love you this morning. Those are not idle words. We love you and we give you thanks. And we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor.